You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, welcome. I want to thank you all for, for being here this evening. And uh, my name is Neil Manning, one of the elders here at Grace Community Church. And tonight, our Grace Matters session will be a panel discussion on diversity, uh, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, and how race and grace intersect within the church. Um, so as we get started, I want to give us uh, a brief introduction to the topic. You see the subtitle there is uh, as the intersection. So we're going to see from a biblical standpoint how the church should be relating to race uh, from the standpoint of grace. And next, uh, why do we need to even talk about this? You can obviously see in events in the news all, all around us in society, this is a topic that we need to discuss. First of all, that the Bible has a lot to say about unity and diversity, justice and mercy, and reconciliation. The reconciliation that God has completed and performed, and now that we are, are working out that reconciliation uh, of humanity with God and also ministering uh, reconciliation between humanity. And second, the world is divided over issues of ethnicity and culture, but the church is the only one with the answer. The church also needs to be called to holiness in this regard because we've not always gotten it right, and we're still struggling and wrestling with this topic. So we need to go back to the source of the solution, God who's created everyone uh, and has... Uh, who is perfect, and through him we can find that reconciliation. So that's what we want to look at. The next question I want us to look at is, what do I need to know? You're here, obviously, because you're interested in uh, hearing more about diversity and how grace intersects with race within the church and in the, the culture. Here are some things that you need to know going into tonight's session. That the issues are bigger and more deeply rooted than we realize. Even if you've been studying this for a long time, it's still bigger and deeper than we, than we realize. But, number two, our Redeemer is bigger still, and His power reaches even more deeply than we have ever realized. And so hopefully we can plumb further into the depths of God's gracious riches He has for us. And that you also need to know that this is only a part of a larger, ongoing, both corporate and individual conversation. This is actually a part two of a, a discussion that we've begun over dinner a couple weeks ago. And I've checked today, so that audio is posted already. So when you go home, you will be able to listen to that first section, that first conversation that these panelists have had. And then you'll uh, complement that with what you hear tonight. But also, the charge is being placed on you. You, as Grace Community Church, can now carry forward this conversation for days, months, for the coming years. But you as individuals also, whether in your workplace, in your communities, these are things that you need to be thinking about, how to engage others from a gospel st standpoint. Next, we've already talked about it, so then what does the Bible say about diversity, about race, and where grace fits in? I'd be understating it if I said this is scratching the surface. This is... I'd be overstating it, rather. This is a brief glimpse at the surface of what the Bible has in its pages concerning diversity, ethnicity, culture, and what God has already done to reconcile the world to himself. So let's look at just a few verses. First, in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see first that from the very beginning, the, the Imago Dei, the image of God, is stamped upon every human being. Next, we turn to Ephesians, where Paul is, is entreating the church. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself 
one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And then finally we turn to Revelation where we see the, the church in heaven. Uh, it's mentioned several times of many nations, all nations and tribes and tongues. For this one we turn to chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. From beginning to end, Scripture addresses the, the very matter that we're going to discuss tonight. So as you can see, there's no possible way we can get everything into this one-hour session. You've got to continue studying, study Scripture. Listen to others, others like you, others not like you. So uh, we're very blessed to uh, have the panel that we do, but we are missing a few that we had intended to be here tonight, and I'll introduce them in just a moment. Uh, before, we, before I do that, I want to give you three points to keep in the back of your mind as you go through tonight's conversation and carry it home with you. Those three are come humbly, prayerfully, and with a teachable spirit. Because this is a challenging topic and we need to be humble about it. Come honestly. Prepare for biblical truth, but that also have practical imperatives. That means we have to do something with the truth. And come hopeful that God is graciously working but he's not working apart from you. He's equipping you to participate in the ministry that he has developed for you individually and as a church for Grace Community Church. In a moment, I'll introduce our panel, Jim and Diane McLaughlin, uh, Kristen Turner, and Marissa Miller. But right now, I uh, ask that you join me in prayer. Father God, we lift up your name and praise you for being holy, for being righteous, just, and merciful. We thank you for gathering us here. I pray that indeed your son would be lifted up in our midst, that your spirit would empower each one of us. Sanctify us, Lord. Bring us to your word. Help us to hear one another. And Lord, as truth is being spoken, I pray that you would give us humble spirits that would accept it and uh, be transformed by, by your truth so that we may go out and indeed preach the gospel in word and deed to believers and unbelievers, to those like us and those unlike us, those near and those far off. To you be the glory. We do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me introduce our panel. I'm going to start nearest me on my left, and um, Marissa is representing the Miller household tonight. Pierre uh, desperately wanted to be with us, got called away for his coaching duties at work and uh, is not able to join us, uh, so you're going to pull double duty for us tonight, yep. and we appreciate you being here. Um, Marissa grew up in Florida, mm -hmm. and, as well as several years in South, Car South Carolina, which was interesting to me that she spent several years in a children's home and attended Presbyterian Church and uh, Presbyterian College is where you met uh, with Pierre and have moved only recently. It's, it's been less than two years, maybe just over a year here in the area, a year and a half uh, here at Campbell and, and Grace Community Church. And we're delighted to have you here. You may see there are three delightful and sometimes rambunctious kids running around <laughs> in the back hallways. Uh, next is Kristen Turner, and she also is pulling double duty tonight. Tom is unable to be with us because he gets pulled away from uh, for school. And Kristen, we're delighted to have you. Uh, you actually have both have international ministry experience. Tom, who has uh, Asian uh, blood running through him, and uh, Kristen, do I understand right? You spent more than four years with campus outreach, seven years, and was all that in Thailand. Uh, so several years of experience in Asia, and um, when, you, when you met uh, and came back to the States, you continued on with international outreach with 
both campus outreach initially and then International Friends, which is a student outreach at UNC. Uh, so we're delighted to have you and looking forward to some international perspective uh, tonight. And next, uh, Jim and Diane McLaughlin, our elder statesmen. And uh, both Jim and Diane grew up in Georgia, uh, mostly in Albany, but uh, Jim has moved around Macon and as far out as Texas and Arizona as well. And they, uh, their claim to fame uh, are their children, but we're not here to talk about <laughs> Rhett and Lane tonight. But they do have uh, six grandchildren, and it's very interesting. I, I love the diversity, even on this panel. Uh, but I, I really wish Tom and, and Pierre were able to be with us tonight, which is why when this is posted online, you need to go online and go ahead and get the, the, the audio from our din dinner conversation a few weeks ago. And that was just a wonderful time, and they were there to, to share the time and conversation with us. Um, Jim and Diane, welcome. We thank you for your your input and insight because though you share like me perhaps a, the majority demographic but you come from a different generation than many of us do and I think the different perspectives that this panel offers will be uh, terrific for each of us. So let's jump in. We are looking at grace and race, the intersection of gospel and race in the church. And, and first I'm just going to ask ask a question. This is going to be for, for anyone to please uh, jump in and help us understand. What is the origin, and you can look at this both theologically and historically, of the racial tension that we see in our land today? Well, uh, obviously, everybody, everybody here knows the, the basic answer, of course, is sin. Uh, we're born with sin. And uh, our viewing different cultures differently and different uh, races differently is a result of our sin. But it's deeper than that, obviously. The culture uh, that we have all grown up in, and we've, we've grown up in different cultures. Uh, Diane and I grew up in the deep, deep south uh, during the civil rights movement. Uh, we saw the uh, demonstrations. We saw Martin Luther King Jr. get arrested and jailed in our hometown. Uh, we went to segregated schools. Uh, my family was in the construction business, and so we had a lot of African-American uh, laborers that, that I grew up with, and I knew their kids, and we, and we would play together. And, and, but but uh, the rest of the time, they went to their school, we went to our school, and that creates uh, tension. Even though we love to play together, ball primarily, uh, we were athletic people. Uh, it was sort of everybody knew what their position in the culture was. So the culture created the differences to a large extent. And uh, my life would, be a, would have been a lot different had I been born uh, as an African-American in Albany, Georgia, rather than a, a white male in Albany, Georgia. I had, I had even though from a relatively poor family, uh, we, you, ha you have advantages because just because you're white. And we need to recognize that. And one of those hot-button terms is white privilege that uh, we may have heard of. And Diane had a great uh, anecdotal uh, definition or, or way of understanding that from our, our dinner discussion some time ago. And if we have time tonight, I want to revisit that. Um, let, let's hear from from others? Um, I think one of the sources, like you said, um, the main source of the tension is sin. But to be more specific, I think it's the sin of pride. Um, the sense of pride that you are, or that a person is better than someone else, mm. or that mm. they're elevated above someone else, um, and that someone's beneath them. Um, and I think that like you said, the culture has, especially in American culture, it has really um, permeated so many different areas in society. So not just, you know, work, the church, school, jobs. I mean, every aspect has been um, affected by the sin of pride and um, the sin of racism. 
And I think that um, that tension isn't getting any better. I think it's coming up more, um, which is good because it's getting out there and people are talking about it, um, but it doesn't make it any easier. So I think I would say the sin of, um, of pride is what kind of... So it's always been there, but maybe more visible now than in other times. Or, for instance, like, you know, the era that you guys grew up in, it was very blatant and visible, and now it's not as blatant and visible right. per se as it was then, but now it's more institutionalized and it's more undercover in a lot of ways. And um, I think in some ways it still is very blatant. I've mm. witnessed sure. things and that have been very blatant, but I think it's a lot more um, low-line and institutionalized and kind of embedded in things um, more so than it is blatant. Would you say, too, that uh, oftentimes either direct racism or the implications of it today may not be overt or intentional, but it's still present? Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Anything else? Well, I'm going to ask, as a church then, in what ways does the church get to offer a better witness on race than what the culture offers? I'll start. Um, I think one of the ways is not um, being colorblind. I know that's uh, one of the questions as well, but I think one of the ways is to not say, you know, well, I don't see color because um, that, we'll go deeper into that, but that's one way um, I think is, is to not be colorblind. And I also um, think another way is that we, the church can reach out to people who are different than them and who look differently and who maybe come from a different background um, because that's, that's discrimination in that too. I mean, people who come from a wealthy family and someone who comes from a poor family, like reach out to someone who's different. And I think that's a big way that the church can really, um, and pray about it, pray about these issues because I don't think that that happens a lot in a lot of the churches in America right now. So also, uh, it, it's more than simply an, an ethnic barrier. It's, it's cultural as well. And we, we kind of think of those in the same terms sometimes, but they're not. Is, is that correct? That we'd be of different ethnicities and of a similar culture, or one ethnicity may span several different cultures depending on where you grew up and, and around whom. Is that right? Well, I think one problem is that we had the church has to uh, understand that the culture is all over us you know we cannot escape the culture uh, and our views are tainted by the culture our views are shaped by the culture and if we pay more attention to the culture than we do the gospel we will be just as crazy as the culture is and, and we need to stick to the, the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. We need to study the, the scriptures. And because once you study the scriptures, you can see that there's absolutely no place for distinction between people based on gender, race, or age, or anything else. Uh, as, as a friend of mine once said, there, there are only two kinds of people in the world, lost and saved. Uh, and we need to understand that that as saved people uh, through the grace of God that we must love everybody in the family of God and people who are not in the family. We have to love them too. We have no choice. But the culture is divisive. Mm -hmm. And the, the, mm -hmm. the conversation that's taking place in the country right now is very divisive uh, because everybody's doing what they want to do. And we need to ask what God would have us do. Christian or Diane, do you have anything to offer as far as how the church's message uh, is different from the world's? Um, I think the church gets to model that race, skin color, culture, ethnicity, background, and struggle don't determine our opportunity. Um, the gospel is open for all to receive. Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have, been, we have concluded this 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Um, so that scripture just helps me kind of, yeah, on, in the gospel, um, we're all yeah. equal. We all had equal opportunity um, to die to sin and to receive grace. And so um, that is helpful, I think. Um, and the church should should model that. I think of the Paul wrote in Corinthians when he said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But as we mature, we got to get over that thinking and acting that way. And I'll, I'll add, too, I just think that the church can offer reconciliation um, by breaking down these, these walls between us because we're different, you know. And um, like you said, like, because... Christ has redeemed us, we no longer have to be shaped by our culture. And um, our minds definitely don't need to be shaped by the culture because if they are, then, like he said, we'll just be all over the place. So I think the church can offer this reconciliation that the world can't. We can both see and value diversity while still maintaining a unity Mm -hmm. in the blood of Christ. Yeah. Um, I'll throw this out there and ask you to respond with any thoughts. I was speaking recently with uh, Pastor Sean Cross, who was once here at Grace Community Church, and we support up in northeastern D.C., um, planning a church there. And uh, he said something that really struck a chord with me. And he says, when we look biblically at humanity's uh, response for justice, not God's justice, but what he intends for mankind to, to act out. He says that biblical justice among humanity is restorative, not punitive. Can you offer any thoughts on that? Hmm. Hey, Sean's a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> I think what he probably means, uh, we have a clinic at the law school that's uh, ju- the juvenile justice clinic. And what, what that clinic does is takes juveniles who have committed crimes against people and takes those juveniles and has them have them meet with the people that they have wronged and they have a conversation with each other. And I think that's restorative justice. Uh, you know whom you have wronged and you have a personal conversation with them. And until you have that personal conversation with them, you do not know them. And we need to do that with each other. I think that's what Sean probably means. Any other thoughts on that? He said it all. That was great. All right. Uh, next, uh, Kristen, I want to turn to you for this one, at least initially before the others get a chance to chime in. So we're thinking both internationally and then domestically. What challenges have you seen that the church has faced? And also, how have you seen the church overcome those challenges? Um, so Tom and I had a bit different experience. I, I was with one... Um, church in Thailand that was actually a um, church plant from the college ministry. So Campus Outreach partners with Grace Church here, um, but there the students that came to Christ um, in our area actually established the church in a sense Um, because that area that I lived in was less than 0.16% Christian, evangelical Christian, and so um, essentially not many people at all in the city. Um, And there's uh, divisions in that culture that are kind of based on location. So if you think like northern, southern division here, sort of like that. Um, And so their history is thousands of years old, but Um, So they might have been Thai people, but they came from different dialects and cultures in one country also. 
Um, so a lot of our staff um, were Americans initially, American missionaries, and we send out missionaries here and we expect them to learn the language and the culture of the people that they're going to minister to. And um, I think, you know, that's our role here in the States as well, is we have to, whatever culture we came from, we're also having to go out and, um, because the United States isn't made up of just one culture. So we're also having to go out and understand people that might be of a very similar culture to us, but um, there are some different distinctions, or they might be a very different culture from us, and, or an international student. Um, so for me, I never thought of myself as a loud American, but Thai people will tell you if you're American, you're loud. Um, and so that was, especially when we have younger college students come over, and missionary teams come over, um, it gets loud really fast, and we talk very fast, and so um, we had to learn, I had to learn to use a softer voice and express my opinion less. Um, so for uh, Eastern culture, and, and specifically the Thai culture, um, it's a communal group. So your opinion is valued, but not at the sake of the whole group. And they're very respectful of not wanting to offend or to, you know, to take away from another person um, just to have their opinion heard or to have their perspective heard. Um, so that was a personal kind of change that um, helped me kind of adapt, I guess. That's where I needed to die to self and um, to recognize the limitations that I had based on where I grew up and what I was bringing into their culture. Um, over time, as more Thai people came to Christ, our worship changed. So originally, like Americans, they bring their worship songs and their hymns, and they translate them. Well, of course, um, right? Because you want there to be worship in your church service. But the problem with translation is words um, have different meaning and different cultures and contexts, you also have um, Thai is tonal language, so when you translate a word <laughs> and it doesn't quite fit the tone and you're trying to sing all at the same time, it just doesn't sound good, so it just, um, over time, they, Thai people came to Christ and there, there was, you know, some not in our area that would write Thai songs, uh, Christian songs, and some that were from our church even, um, and so the transition of even what worship looked like conformed more based on because it was not just like brought in from another culture but out of that culture. Um, and then the last thing which I kind of left before this got started but I've kept in touch well enough to see it expand is um, when I was there, there were a lot of young couples, and they come to Christ and start getting married. Now they're having children, and they were from a little bit different socioeconomic status, so um, there there's a bit more division, maybe or maybe not, than here, um, but what would happen is they, they gather, I think they do it monthly, and they have a couple's time um, where they do some training and family council, I guess, um, and they have a meal together and they go into each other's homes. And I think that has helped to break down these differences that maybe society would have told them they shouldn't interact, but as the church, as the only community of believers in that area, that they are, they're gathering and, and living out of um, the grace they received and their the new spirit that they have rather than being confined to the culture um, and what they say. So so what I'm hearing is, um, first, we need to learn to listen before speaking. And uh, then as, as the word goes out to different people groups, the worship experience, what the service tends to look like, will become different. It'll change depending on who's together worshiping and uh and then the last point is interpersonal relationships so you can read all the books in the world and think you're an expert but you know nothing until you 
reach out and, and spend time with somebody. Yeah. Is that a fair summary of, of things that you've, exactly. you've seen? What about on the domestic side? Has anybody seen churches that have particular racial uh, challenges and seen perhaps how they addressed it and overcome or maybe how they should have done things differently? Um, I got two examples. Um, one, there's a church in Atlanta when Pierre and I, we go back home to visit um, his dad. We usually go to, um, and I don't know if any of you guys listen to Christian rap, but there's a Christian rapper named Tripley, and they started a church in Atlanta called Cornerstone. And anytime we're down there, that's where we go to church. And I love it. Um, it's gospel-centered. But one of the things I love about it is how um, diverse it is. And not just, like, black, white, Hispanic, which it is diverse in that way, but it's also diverse in you have, like, businessmen in suits. And you have people coming in with, you know, like, their baggy jeans. And it's just so people from all over the city, you know, that are so different, that come from different backgrounds. And they come and they worship together and they're, you can tell that these people love each other and that they care for each other. And I'm like, this is what, this is what it'll be like in heaven. It won't mm -hmm. be just everyone who's the same here together, everyone who's the same here together. We will be worshiping and um, glorifying God together, no matter what our background was. And um, so that was like, every time we go there, we're always super encouraged. And then um, on the flip side, I've also seen churches that, um, that when it comes to these issues, they tend to shrug them off because they deem them as just social issues or, and say, well, you know, we're just about the gospel. That's it. No social issues. But in reality, that's not true because we talk about, I mean, we bring up homosexuality we talk about abortion, and we speak out about these things, which we rightly should, but why don't we speak out, out about racism? It's not just a social issue. This is a biblical issue. Mm -hmm. And I think as a church that we can't just shrug something off and say, well, no, we don't want to talk about it because one is too hard and two because we want to call it, you know, that's just society's issue. No, this is an issue that we should bring up just as we're doing today. And talk about even if it is difficult so I think there's um, I've seen examples of it all I think mm -hmm. so I think one of the problems is to, to respond to Marissa's uh, thought there yeah we're, we're, we're willing to talk about abortion because we all agree that's wrong mm -hmm. we're willing to talk about homosexuality because the scripture says it's sin we're not as willing to talk about racism because that's one of the sins that we practice. Mm -hmm. And that gets too close to home. And that makes us uncomfortable. And we need to be willing to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's why we have to talk about difficult issues. Well said. Good point. So um, now we're returning to something, Marissa, you mentioned earlier. Um, why is seeing in color preferable to being colorblind? And we've, at least I have, grown up you know, having the, the term, we want to be colorblind, that color doesn't matter. In one aspect, you, you mentioned that at the cross, we're all equal. But in, a, in another aspect, seeing in color is preferable to being colorblind. How is that? Um. I know I've heard people say, you know, colorblind, like we should be colorblind because it talks about there's neither Jew nor Greek. And, you know, um, I've heard that a lot. And I'm like, well, no, no. That means that we, those distinctions don't matter because we're equal when it comes to the cross. We're all sinners. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of a savior. And when we believe in Jesus, we come to that knowledge and we know that we are saved by um, God's grace, but that doesn't mean that we don't see a person for who God has created them to be. Um, whether they're white, black, Asian, Italian, whatever, you know, Hispanic. Um, 
And I think when we are, when we say we're colorblind, we tend to erase um, a person's, what's the word? Um, their experiences. So for instance, like someone might say, well, how can you go through that? Because we don't see color, you know, surely you didn't experience this racist incident. <laughs> and you're like, well, no, I'm black and this incident did happen to me. And when we say, well, I don't see color, we're just saying that there's no, um, you're almost erasing that person's experiences and some of the hardships that they've been through. And so I think it's important. It sounds like it takes away from the opportunity to have empathy. Mm -hmm. And it, one of the things that, that struck me um, for some time now is when a national event occurs, something hits the news that another young black man was shot by a white police officer. I mean, it, it could be any number of, of um, examples, but take that for one. It strikes me that even if I personally try to live colorblind, what I'm doing is erasing the hurt that, that you as a minority in the pew next to me is feeling that I'm, I don't feel at the same level. So instead of erasing that, we should bridge that gap. Is that right? Exactly right. Well, context is important. Uh, I mean, as Marissa says, the, the scripture does tell us quite clearly that here there's not Greek and Jew, uncircumcised, circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And that's true, obviously, because it comes straight from the word. Uh, so in that sense, I think the word colorblind carries a lot of baggage with it, obviously, uh, because it has often been used by people to color over racism, to disguise racism, or to paint yourself as being non-racist. I'm colorblind. I don't care what color you are. Everything's fine with me. Everybody's the same in my eyes. And when you start hearing people say that, I, I'm reminded of, I think he doth protest too much. Uh, because it's impossible to be colorblind. Now, I can be colorblind as far as the gospel is concerned. I mean, we're all equal in Christ. We're all sinners saved by grace. Uh, but I need to understand that people from different cultures have experiences different from mine. And they see things differently than I do. And I need to understand why. Or else I won't have the ability to relate. Now, is there a benefit for the church in having people within the same assembly that have different perspectives? Well, sure. It's somewhat rhetorical, but explain why it's beneficial for, for us as Grace Community Church here in Harnett County. We're surrounded uh, several miles away from major cities. We're next to uh, major schools. Um, how does having the input from people not like us, how is that beneficial for us? I think it helps us grow um, and gets us out of our comfort zone. Because I know, um, I think we mentioned it earlier, or maybe last time, but the hardest thing is for us is to get out of our comfort zone. And I'm speaking to me because I like to be comfortable. Um, but I think that's one of the things that we have to have to do is just go talk to someone who's different, even though you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this. But you might come to find out, like, that was really encouraging. Like, you might just make a new friend. I mean, you just never know. So I think getting out of our comfort zone is... I just relate to the first time I ever read a book by a black author. <laughs> it's a law professor at Yale, who's a believer, by the way. It's hard to believe that a law professor at Yale is a believer, but it's true. Uh, and it, and it's, it was a, a nonfiction book that was based upon his life, though, as growing up as a kid, as an African-American, whose dad was a, was a judge. I mean, he was not from a poor uh, background. But as I read that book, and I can't remember the name of uh, the book, but as I read that book, I saw how he saw things differently than I do, and it really opened my eyes. Uh, so I think not only do we need to get to know people from different cultures and backgrounds and races and so forth, but we need to read 
And when we read, read to learn, to learn about people. And then we're, we're just able to relate better. Pretty simple. Oh, well, I'm just going to say that I will say one thing while I'm up here. Uh, I think Jimmy was reading the story of Hank Aaron, his, his biography, and just some of the things that Hank Aaron's father told him about that happened in the segregated South. And uh, I remember as Jimmy read that to me, I thought, we had no, I had no idea growing up just how horribly bad things could be. And even if no one had told me anything, when you're put, I just want to say this from our perspective of being old people, um, that when you're in this, what we were in in South Georgia, uh, where the two races never mixed in any way, uh, at ha hardly at all. I mean, these ways that Jimmy's talking about, we, that, that was common. But when you went to anywhere, uh, white people were separated from black people. Uh, and I don't think sometimes younger people even realize how horrible it was. I mean, and you get this impression, even though no one said this to me, that there has to be something wrong with a person of color because I cannot eat in the same place. I cannot drink out of the same water fountain. I cannot use the same restroom. We can't go to school together. In fact, in our lunchroom, as we called it in the 50s, the, there were black ladies that worked there, but they never had anything to do with the food. It was all white. And so, in my own life, after I became a believer in 1979, several months after that, and I remember a black Christian guy was speaking. I don't even remember what the circumstances were. But this love welled up in my heart, and I knew that that was not me. I knew that my old self would have responded differently, but I knew to myself, I thought, that's the Lord Jesus responding from Christian to Christian, and those barriers were broken down. And, of course, that's just a beginning, but I just think that's important to say. Um, one term we used with the international students, they were used to calling America a melting pot, um, which is kind of <laughs> breaks down a little bit. So we would explain to them, like, we, we, as international friends, want to think of ourselves as a mosaic. And I think, you know, that's kind of how we need to picture America more, um, too, because we take away the value, right? If there's color blindness, then you're taking away the value of another culture. And it's not just learning about or seeing the differences. It's really valuing the differences that they that maybe the way that I was too loud in Thailand is could actually be hurtful, which it was, right, for their culture and to reach people. So if our goal as believers is to love the Lord and love our neighbor, I can't reach my neighbor who's an African American male in maybe y'all's generation if I you know, I don't understand his culture, and um, I can't, I can't reach, you know, the Hispanic family down the street if I don't understand their culture, and I'm not willing to go and learn, you know, maybe what foods I can make for them to invite them to my home. Um, so I think, just yeah, seeing more of the uniqueness that each culture brings and what we can learn from other people helps us ultimately as a church to, to reach <laughs> and share the gospel. And yeah, yeah, being able to share the gospel is, uh, is a primary importance in, in this. Um, one of the professors, Dr. Walter Strickland from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary was uh, he took a short drive down to uh, Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh not long ago, and I went to listen to him. And one of the benefits that he spoke of, of having a diverse congregation, is because of the fact that we all have blind spots. Theologically, we have weaknesses and blind spots. Practically, 
We have weaknesses and blind spots. And if all we do is surround ourselves with people like us, we're just reinforcing those weaknesses and shoring up those blind spots. Whereas if God puts in our midst a diversity of people, just like he has a diversity of gifts, a diversity of cultures, a diversity of perspectives, then we can care for one another by eliminating those blind spots, encouraging one another, edifying, building up, rather than it being um, a forced, just like you were saying earlier, Diane, that we, there's a segregation even among churches that if, if we reach out and get to know one another, we can actually help ourselves when we do that. Not that we are trying to uh, look out for ourselves, but that is a, a benefit so let's move to a little more practical question here. How, practically speaking, can Grace Community Church, this, this church here, minister this reconciliation with regard to diversity? And is it, is it worth it? Is there hope that God will use us in order to make progress in this area? I definitely think that there's hope. Mm -hmm. um, I've learned that this year, I mentioned in home group last night, um, one of the things that I've learned over this series, the five solo series, and um, just the past year and a half moving here, is it was very difficult because I lived in the same town for like 12 years, and my family, friends, everything were there. And um, so moving here was a big change. But um, I learned this year so much that there's hope um, I mean, the church that we came from, I love, I love my church. Um, they were amazing. But in this area, it was a struggle. And coming to Grace, um, I felt that I can be open to talk about this. And I've always felt welcome. And um, that has been a blessing. So that, that gives me hope. Um, but I think one of the practical ways that we can move forward is kind of um, what Jim was saying is by reading um, literature Christian literature from people of color or any ethnicity um, because there are a lot of good, solid pastors and speakers that are out there that um, really, and not even just on this topic, but on this topic as well, but on all topics. Just read something from someone who's um, different. And I think even like inviting speakers or having um, you know, I know we had a concert a while ago where someone came and um, sang, and even having someone that's a little different, maybe a Christian rapper or, you know, some poetry. Um, there are a lot of different resources out there of people of color that, um, that can really benefit, I think, the church in growing our perspective in our mind. So. What I'm learning is that those within the majority of, of culture um, basically, white middle-aged males, we all, uh, many of us fit that. But within the majority culture, we often don't recognize that we have our own culture, that we're expecting others to conform to our expectations. Uh, so it, it would behoove us to reach out, recognize that we bring our own culture to the table and, and reach across the table. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention from your comments um, was uh, something stunning that Dr. Strickland again said that, that hit me was he said that up until recently and probably still this way in many seminaries that someone can have can graduate with a seminary degree without ever having picked up a book authored by a minority and in some ways I think I may have assumed that but it that hit me that was very powerful well, I, the, the question about what can we do at Grace Community Church, that's a, that's a difficult question because uh, practically, practically speaking, what can we do uh, to really to expose ourselves to uh, different cultures? Uh, but an easy thing we could do, uh, there are a lot of powerful, well-known uh, black men who are excellent preachers, expositors of the word, I believe they would come talk here, preach here. I'd love to hear uh, some of these guys. 
I hear them on TV. Uh, but I think that would be a, it's a, it's a small step, but it would be something that we could do. You know, it's, it's, that's not hard. How do we get people from different socioeconomic groups, different races, different cultures to come into our worship service? That's not easy uh, because they're uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, uh, just as we are. Uh, so I think the beginning would be if we, if we invited a famous a black pastor to come preach here, a series, like a, a you know, two or three night uh, event, we would get a lot of people from the community to come in and we could at least start the conversation. Any other ideas on what we can do to take steps towards reconciliation and outreach? And we're definitely close to Campbell and I don't know how many international students are at Campbell, but I know even, you know, during breaks, especially like Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're not flying home. Um, so sometimes their dorms close and other, I don't know how Campbell works, but uh, so that kind of displaces these students. Um, so maybe get involved with Campbell in a way that would help us connect um, to the needs that are out there, you know, and serve in tangible ways. <laughs> This is kind of funny, but I was thinking about this. So we we love to have potlucks here, and I I love me some food. You know, like everybody loves to eat, but our food is very cultural. And um, we, kind of the thing about coming back from overseas is everybody joke around about you're going to gain weight when you go back home and visit your family. You know. And um, it's because that food here is really heavy a lot of times for someone who's used to eating smaller portions and fresher ingredients and rice. Um, and so I think in, we don't always know who's coming, but um, one way is to maybe think outside the box on what we're making and have a little bit more diversity of food offered so that there is a sense of home, I guess, created for whether it's an Asian American or an international student or um, other ethnic cultures, Hispanic culture. And I think another way too, um, and once again, I'm speaking to myself, um, I mentioned at our dinner the other night that even our neighbors, you know, inviting a neighbor, and I use myself as an example, um, in our neighborhood we have an Asian family and a Mexican family right next door to us, which I call it the most diverse uh, corner of Harnett <laughs> County <laughs> um, because it's just hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, even inviting them to church one day um, or inviting them over for a meal, and we've, our kids all play together, but, um, which is great, but I'm like, maybe I shouldn't go and invite them and say, hey, join us at church today or, you know, come to my house for dinner and let's talk and just to even get to know them. Um, and I know that may not be the case for everyone, um, but even someone at work, I think that's small baby steps, you know, because obviously racial reconciliation and um, talking about these things does not happen overnight, and we can't expect it to be. I mean, it's, it's just not going to happen. But we have to be proactive in taking the small steps, I think. You know, the theme I keep hearing is intentionality. We need to be intentional and conscious of of how we reach people, believer or unbeliever alike. Uh, we need to um, look for ways to, to minister and make personal connections mm -hmm. with people not like ourselves. Well, before we start looking at some resources uh, from your recommendations, is there anything else that you would like to share with us um, before closing out this portion of the session? I will also say on the last question, also teach your kids, you know, and I think... Um, that seems so trivial, but in the, a lot of the older generations, um, they, the, this mindset has been ingrained and passed on, but one of the ways that that can be changed is by teaching our children, and, um, and that's hard. I mean, I think that's really difficult, but really going against the grain and saying, this is the biblical view of how we should treat other people. I think that's... Another thing I forgot to mention. So. That's good. All right. Well, as you can see, this is definitely an ongoing conversation that I'd encourage you to 
uh, continue studying, talking, reaching out, um, begin with the Word of God to see what He would have us to, to understand and how He would have us to behave. Um, but I also asked our panelists for resources that they would recommend that we could pick up or listen to at some point that would help encourage us uh, along this path. And we're going to start with some books and authors. Uh, again, this slideshow with the list of resources, and some of them are linked to either podcasts or, or books, will be uh, posted alongside the audio on the webpage. So um, don't feel like you have to jot everything down. But do make note of some of these and look for them on the, the website in addition to when you go to listen to the, the audio of our previous conversation. So looking at this list of books and, and authors, and this is really just, I, I asked each panelist for uh, two examples, and I think Marissa sent me probably 13 or 14 in, in every, <laughs> yeah. so she she's, all the way. she's a, she's a good, <laughs> big reader. Are there any quick comments or anything that you would want to point out for, for those watching and listening about these resources? The oneness embraced by Tony Evans, isn't that the one that Tom had? I think that I haven't had a chance to really look into it, but I would recommend that as being a very good book because I have a lot of respect for Tony Evans. And Bloodlines is really good. That's about John Piper's testimony of going from a racist man growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, to a redeemed man who adopted, ended up adopting a black daughter. So it's a really, really good book, really powerful. So. And I'll say about that first one, The Gospel and Racial Re Reconciliation, it's a, it's a small book. I have it with me if anybody wants to take it home and read it. Um, it, it had a handful, five or six different authors uh, have articles within the book. Uh, some that you had mentioned uh, in other areas, Eric Mason, um, Trillia Newbell, Thabiti, Anya Wile, uh, really great articles, but not, worth, not only were they great individually, but they seemed to build on each other, and the book got better and better as I went through it. So that's a, a great short resource for anybody uh, looking to get into it. All right, let's look next at uh, articles and blogs, those who may have uh, post articles online that we can uh, take quick snippets of of the cultural discussion and, and continue on. Uh, talk to us about The Witness, what is that? So The Witness is actually a website, so there was a, a, a guy, um, Jamar Tisby, who started this website called Reformed African American Network. And um, after a few years of just um, life changes and um, a lot of the issues pretty much that have happened um, recently, they decided to change the name to The Witness, and it talks, it's from the perspective of African-American men, and um, super, super solid biblically, so you're, what you're going to read on there is, it's legit, um, and so their article about endurance for a slow reconciliation is kind of what I touched on briefly, just like, that this is not going to be some quick fix. There's no quick fix to this, and there's no right answer, but how can we go forward with it? Um, and then the interview with Lecrae kind of piggybacks on a lot of what the witness talks about and just his um, journey with a lot of things, too, and it was really good. So, yeah, I think listening to his album and then that interview and then the subsequent responses to that was, was very helpful and mm -hmm. enlightening positively challenging. Uh, then you see Desiring God. Uh, Piper's also always going to have a lot of good information and uh, some of it recently pertaining to the topic at hand as well as the, the article on reconciliation at, at Reformation 21. There's, there's a lot of, of good stuff out there. Uh, and if you want any recommendations on where to go for the, the solid theological aspects, I've talked to Really, any, any of us here on the panel, your home group leader, any elder, we'd be happy to point you in the right direction. So let's look now at the arts, musicians and, and poets. Can you give us any um, input as, for perhaps where we should start, any genres that they specialize in? 
Sorry, these are like all mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read the e or the message saying to. I just like started sharing everything. <laughs> um, but depending on, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like rap. I get it. Um, but if you do like rap or you like rap before you became a believer, if you want to hear some good, solid rap, um, these are some of the top four are really some really good guys, and their stuff is especially Shylin. I think yeah. you listen, I mean, that's like a, listening to a sermon. You have to listen to that thing like eight times because he's so deep. Um, but the bottom three are all uh, poets, and they, Pierre and I just went to see them in Charlotte or in Raleigh like a few months ago, and they do poetry. And just look up any of their names on YouTube and watch any of their poet, poems, and they're just phenomenal. I mean, they're so good. So if you like poetry, look them up. They're great. Um, so, yeah. And finally, we have recommendations for uh, pastors and podcasts that perhaps you have a, a commute that you can listen to on your, your podcast device. Uh, or if you just want to look them up online and, and listen to some good sermons or discussions, uh, any of them that you want to point out especially to us? I, I'll tell you, when I first, I can't remember if I listened to or read something by H.P. Charles, but since then, anytime I see anything by him, I immediately go and get it. He was uh, amazing. Um, he, he knows his audience and can relate the principles and truths of Scripture um, very, very well, very um, enjoyably, if you can put it that way. I will say Trillia Newbell, she wrote a book, um, this is for those who have kids, um, called God's Very Good Idea. I've not gotten it yet because I think it just came out recently, um, but it's supposed to, it's been recommended by a lot of people that's really good and it kind of touches on this topic, but it's a great way to read it to your kids. It's a kid's book. So um, it's called, I think it's called God's Very Good Idea. And if you need a link to it, I could get it. But she's, she wrote it, and it's supposed to be pretty good. I've started recently listening also to Truth's Table, which is uh, a few uh, African-American women discussing theological things from, from that perspective. And some of the, the interviews they have on there is outstanding, terrific. Um, and you see the, the other podcasts available to you there, mostly from conferences, websites that also has a lot of good material. Any final comments before I wrap things up? I will say that not only do I appreciate each one of you being here, but I do hope that you would look for this material on the website as well as the other audio session and share them. Talk to them with your friends, make new friends in order to share them with, and and be that humble spirit who is intentional about sharing the, the good news of what God has done to reconcile us to himself with others. Be on the lookout also for our next Grace Matters, which will be in January. Typically, it's going to be on the, the months with a fifth Wednesday, and we're going to do something special in January, uh, three weeks in a row, looking at baptism, Lord's Supper, uh, ordinance, sacraments, and everything that is wrapped up in that. Uh, also, if you have questions that you would like to see addressed in a Grace Matters session, we've got that email set up. Just send it to gracematters at graceccnc.org. We'll be happy to include that somehow into the panel discussions. And uh, with that, I want to turn the mic over to our elder, Jim McLaughlin, and ask you for uh, a prayer of blessing as we leave this place. Okay. Let's pray together. Father God, we are always amazed at how you have shown your mercy to us and how you have uh, given us grace that is beyond our ability to fully understand, how you have taken us sinful people and made us your children through the blood of Christ. We thank you for your care for us. We we know that you love us all, and we just pray that you would enable us to love each other as well. We think about your word that tells us that we should conduct ourselves wisely toward outsiders. We should make the best use of our time. Let our speech always be gracious. 
seasoned with salt so that we may know how you would have us answer each person that we come in contact with. Uh, Father, make us aware of who we are in Christ and that you have sent us out into the world not to be citizens of the world, but to be the carriers of your message to people everywhere, of every race, of every nation, of every uh, culture that we can think of. You want us to be your messengers. Give us wisdom as we deliver the message. We thank you for your grace on us tonight. And we just pray that you be with us as we leave this house of worship. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Yes, she wants to hear um, the, the story how you asked Cole for okay. an explanation of what uh, white privilege is. Our older son is a pastor uh, in Cary. And this has probably been a year ago. And um, we were having a conversation about what white privilege meant. And I was asking him to explain it to me. And I admit that I bristled a little bit at the first time I heard that. And... Um, and I started on a scenario of saying, well, my father couldn't send me to college. He had to borrow the money. And, and from, from quarter to quarter, it was not a semester system then. But, and, and that was the only way I could go. And Cole stopped me and said, but mom, your dad could borrow money. And making the point that uh, people of color could not, they couldn't get any money. They couldn't borrow. I mean, just simple things that we would take for granted. Uh, so it, it's, it's understanding. That's just one little example, Sarah, but it's just understanding uh, the, some of these privileges that we've had. The, the, I'll just follow that up. One of the points that uh, struck me about that is the fact that that's one of those implications that weren't necessarily intentional by banks or colleges or whatever. They weren't intentionally keeping minorities down, but it was it was in the system. It was it was somehow built in. It could be uh, by the intentions of others. It it may not be. Uh, but one of the things that one of the quotes that I really enjoyed uh, that helped me as a, a white man about that came from Trillia Newbell, and she says, this isn't about guilt. No one should walk around feeling guilty for sin they do not directly commit. Rather, it's about loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so I thought that was helpful to understand that to talk about white privilege and these things, it, it's not to put a guilt trip on anyone who has any sort of privilege, but to put in, into your minds the question of what do we do with that privilege? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.